Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. If you're watching me on YouTube, uh, we need to confirm, Zach, am I blinking enough or too much, not enough? What's happening? Uh, normal blinks right now. I'm hoping that that continues so you don't freak out the uh, live viewers. My normal or just like a normal person's normal? Hopefully normal person, but I know that's probably not likely. All right, you heard Zach Blaustein there. We also got a very crispy-looking Chris Knee who refuses to wear sunscreen. It's an interesting Chris approach. He? It's Chris not a refusal. It's just a, I haven't done it. Uh, okay, and then we got poor Dane who's learning from you and getting sunburned all the time. And so you're basically like when Dane gets skin cancer in 40 years, it's going to be your fault. But you probably won't be alive then to talk about it. So Bingo. <laughs> all right. So as we get going here, and I will try my best uh, to not be meandering and all over the place. No promises. Uh, we do have a ton to get to because it is camp season. Hence Chris's uh, nice little crispy knee uh, look right now. Uh, we're out there pretty much all the time. At least one of us is at any given time out there at on the bench, at camp, somewhere near campus. There's just a ton going on. We have a lot to get to as a result of that. Before we go any further, a little housekeeping. First off, a shout out to our sponsors, Chattanooga Whiskey. One of the nice single barrel bottle here. Uh, they do amazing work in the bourbon game, rye whiskey as well. They actually just won a couple of awards, fellas, from the Ascot, which I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, American Spirits Council of Tasters. I don't know how I can get on that, but uh, they're, they're 111, one double platinum, which is the highest award you can get in the blind taste. They're Chattanooga Whiskey 91. They're baseline entry-level bourbon as well, uh, one uh, double platinum, and then their rye whiskey won gold. So uh, doing a fantastic job, no surprise here for the people who have tried it. I know a lot of our audience members have given them a try and discovered them through us. Thank you for trying them. Uh, one of my favorite whiskeys out there. Uh, my favorite because they're uh, sponsoring our show as well. And then also a shout out to the, the Turner, Turner Group. The Turner Group. Uh, listen, Colin Turner, Amy Turner of the Turner Group are doing an amazing job of being hands-on, detailed uh, buyers and sellers in the home market. They're going to help you out. Uh, if you're in the state of Florida, if you're in Central Florida specifically, but also if you're looking to start renting in Gainesville and Tallahassee and college towns in Florida, if you have your, your youngins about to go to campus in the next couple months, don't rent. No, 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 no. Uh, go ahead. Reach out to the, the Turner Group. If you have some extra money aside, you could actually make this a money-making venture. If you buy a home, start renting out to others. Like You become someone who makes money instead of just throwing your money away. So uh, those are our two sponsors. Want to give a shout out to, and then also a shout out to Seminole Softball. They had an amazing season. Team 40 was a, a ton of fun. The Knowles 24-7 coverage of it, I'm extremely proud of as well. What Brett Nevitt did up there with Chris Knee helping him out. Uh, our coverage was second to none of a really fun team, uh, one that left its guts on the field and, and played extremely hard all season. The postseason was a lot of fun. That was kind of when I jumped in parachuted into watching it, and, and what a blast that they were. Um Lost to a really good Oklahoma team, but again, laid it all out there on the field. A ton of fun. And just in general, like Brett's coverage was excellent. He's now killing it with baseball coverage as uh, FSU looks to turn over its roster in the transfer portal. He's doing a great job with that as well. Uh, and now as we get into camp season here, we start talking about FSU recruiting. We're crushing it as a, as a website in general. Uh, we are doing a 60% off annual sub uh, promo right now, network-wide. We checked on Saturday morning, most 24-7 was second in the entire network. So hats off to Chris, to Dane, to Zach, and, and the guys who are spearheading our recruiting coverage. That promo runs until the 15th, so a few so more, days. more days. Yeah, yeah, a few yeah. more days, so get into it. So, fellas, uh, let's get going here. The elite camp just happened this weekend. Quarterback camp happened last week. Just passing camp, big man camp, 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 camp. Uh, before we get into those, Chris, you were at Mega Camp on Sunday. Just Mega. Mega Coop. Uh, when when it first came out a couple of years ago, the idea of it at Florida State, uh, polarizing uh, for some, shout out Energinal, uh, and, and one that we were really all kind of hands on deck covering, I think with a little bit more time with this coaching staff getting ahead of things on the recruiting trail a little bit, it uh, didn't seem quite as much of a valuable resource. I don't want to put words in your mouth though, Chris, I guess your thoughts on Mega Camp, its value to the program, I guess how you approach covering it on Sunday. Well, I enjoyed it because it's almost like an AFCA convention, getting a bunch of coaches from different colleges, different high school all together. There was ballpark 750 to 900 kids somewhere in that window. I don't know where the number settled at. 
that's about a little less than half of what it was two years ago, right out of COVID, when it was kind of the first thing that happened after COVID, where there was 2,000 plus kids and it was just packed out. I do think they've lost a little steam, mega camps as a whole, not just from an FSU perspective. Uh, there is mega camps prior to FSU. USF had one on Thursday. Mercer had one previously, South Alabama, Kennesaw State. So regionally, there had been some options before FSU rolled around. From an FSU perspective, I mean, there was probably ballpark of 12 kids I really liked and maybe another dozen that I probably should have paid more attention to that could be FSU types. FSU extended for sure two offers off of mega camp yesterday. Wouldn't it shock me if we see a couple others come from group kids that were there? I think it's a event that's not to demean it or knock it out. It's to some degree, it's kind of like a community service event. I think FSU wants to do a solid for the region, the Panhandle, South Georgia, kids in those areas that want to come out. It's also an uh, event where you can get a ton of young kids. You know, there obviously were a lot of 24 kids, but there were almost as many 25 kids, a decent amount of 26, some 27. I believe there was even a 28 that participated. So, you know, you get a nice collection of young talent. It's it, it has a worthwhile reason. I thought this year they did only two sessions versus the four they'd done previous two years. Uh, it, that was a little bit nicer in the sense of it. It was done. Like, it didn't drag on all day. Um, but some of that is also because of reduced numbers. Personally, I think maybe you try to move it to the very beginning of the summer and being kind of the first event out, get it out of the way. Also beat others to the punch like Mercer, Kennesaw, and the other ones I mentioned. I think if you're going to continue to do the event from an FSU perspective, that may hold a bit more value. I was muted. Oh, let's get it, Mount asks, is this our last camp? The answer to that is... <laughs> God, no. So individual camp this coming Wednesday, big man seven on, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. I've heard that's going to be a monster ballpark of 50, 60 teams. They all bring a lot of linemen and some individual linemen come. That's going to be the biggest camp I've ever seen at FSU from Mike Norvell perspective for the big man seven on. Uh, the last one, which they had last Wednesday, had about 30 teams, and that was the biggest to date. Um, there's also a kicking camp. I believe that is also this Wednesday. I think that might be it. There might No, there's one more individual. I think that's actually on either Sunday or Monday around Father's Day. And then, obviously, we're also dealing with official visits, visitor, visitors. They have a couple in right now. They'll have a bunch in this coming weekend, a couple early next week, and then a bunch in that final weekend. That last weekend, June 23rd, is going to be a monster official visitor weekend. So from a FSU perspective of camps and officials, June is insanely hectic. Speaking of monster weekends for recruiting, uh, Elite Camp was a monster camp in, in sense of the prospects and attendance. We had a ton of coverage of it at Knowles 24-7 this weekend. We're going to dive into it now. Takeaways, intel, that kind of stuff. I'm going to throw this to you, Zach, who says he got a haircut. I see that there. It looks very nice. Shout out Dallas at Birth and Breeze. Um, your thoughts, just generally before we – we'll go very in-depth with it here. We're going to spend a lot of time parking on this topic it's going to be a majority of what we talk about today. But your thoughts on the elite camp when you saw the list, the guys who ended up showing up, just general vibes there. Yeah, I mean, with it being a weekend camp, um, you're not going to get a lot of top 2024 prospects on campus besides your commitments because if they're good, they're on official visits to other schools. And for guys like a guy like Elias Williams, who's a three-star that FSU is kind of in eval mode with, they got him on campus and got him to work out for the staff, which I think is what it should be. You should get guys like that to work out, get them, you know, in person, evaluate their tools in person and, and see if you want to uh, pursue them more heavily uh, moving forward. And then the the priority of the camp this year was, I liked it a lot. Um, it was a lot, a lot more focused on the underclassmen. So 25 and 26 prospects, I felt like last year they limited themselves a little bit because of the uh, just, you know, they, they focused a lot on 24 or 23 at the time um, and not as much on 24. And maybe that just was because they were coming off of a not so great season. Um, they have more momentum this off season on the recruiting trail. And I think that's a large reason for it, but I like how much they're prioritized getting a bunch of top 2025 prospects on campus you know, we'll get into a bunch of the, uh, the bunch of those guys, but I thought that that was really something that stood out to me. Um, I love, you know, seeing all the, the elite talent um, along the line, um, especially at D line. I thought that was a really stacked group. 
And then, you know, the receiver position was was awesome to watch. It, it was just a really fun camp, and you could tell that the talent level was at another level compared to last year's elite camp. Yeah, a few quick hitters for me. Elite camp lived up to the title of elite camp. It was um, the expectation of people coming in, the expected list. It lived up to that. That's always a good sign. That means you've got a good read on the room, good communication with kids. I think that's indicative of a well-organized program, which we know FSU currently has. Uh I thought it was really good. I mean, I thought every position minus maybe linebacker had stuff that we really, really liked. And linebacker did have a couple kids in that were high on. They just weren't on the field working out. There was a decent collection of talent that was onlookers and not participants, which is normal for any camp. Uh, to Zach's point, it's kind of funny. Last year was so focused on last year's class to a degree. Well, this one was more focused on the next class. That's sort of where it all has gravitated towards. One, that's a good sign for FSU because FSU, again, is a 10-win football team, has some momentum, is recruiting at a high level, and has established relationships, all of which pay off in the recruiting game. The 24 kids that FSU is dealing with currently, they're on official visitor visits, and they're going all around the country on officials. You're not going to get a whole lot of 24 kids outside of dudes you're trying to evaluate that are that sort of prospect. A Kobe Jones, for example, that showed up to camp is a guy like that. But it was about 25 kids. It used to be that the individual camps that they have would be the, the following class and the class after. Well, no. The individual camp on Friday was a lot of 26 kids. So the 25 kids were all at the elite camp. And it's because FSU's board in 25 is pretty well defined already, which is an excellent sign. It means they're recruiting ahead. For the first time in a long time as a program, FSU was really ahead of the curve. And I thought the collection of talent was phenomenal. We're going to obviously dive further into that. But uh, it was a good event. They had to dance around raindrops a little bit. I think they did a good job of infusing seriousness, uh, meetings with the kids, while also having a little fun, like going into batting, batting cages right before they went out to the field, just to kind of loosen up, get after it, have a little fun, let the coaches pitch to them, which seemed like guys enjoyed. But they they rushed out to the field because they had a window with the weather and they wanted to get it out there and they wanted to get to work in. And that's what the program's about. I mean, it's a, it's a word we hear around here. It's cliche to a degree. But they are about working. They wanted to get the guys out there, and they did want to put them through it, and it was an efficient camp. Chris, you mentioned the prospect of working ahead and mm-hmm. recruiting ahead. Um, I remember back under the previous regime, it felt like they could never catch up. Yeah. We, D- and- David Kelly used to talk about it openly with us when we were chat that they, you know, they came in, they felt like they were behind on the current class they were recruiting in the next class. And because they were playing such catch-up, they couldn't get ahead on the following class. And obviously, with the fact they were only here for 21 games and basically the equivalent of those months, they never got there. And then you have a new staff, you have COVID, so that that eliminates the possibility of getting ahead. You're not very good for a year or two, which doesn't give you any momentum. You're always kind of playing catch-up, trying to put together classes. You finally get there, and you know you win 10 games, but you've built relationships. FSU is having success in 24 because of relationships they built for that class, but we're seeing that at a higher degree for 25 26 and so on it seems like a combination of longevity now for this the staff and and having some stability and then combined with on-field results like you don't get ahead without having both of those things working in your advantage landon thomas is a great example landon thomas has a three-year relationship with chris thompson in fsu yeah and that's why they got him the second time around pretty much so guys who are not class ahead and a class ahead have three four years with the staff and that matters. And this staff is one that they want to get kids on campus a half dozen times. They go and see the kids in the spring. They get out and see them in January. When Mike Norbell can get out, he's hitting a helicopter. He's getting to as many schools as possible. They make a lot of effort to have a lot of face time. And that's why they win in some recruitments. And obviously, they're not going to win every recruitment. But that's why they do an effective job of putting themselves in position to get a lot of kids. And they usually have a pretty good read of the room overall. Speaking of helicopters, uh, we have a tease for a Zach story later on. Uh, in this podcast when we get through all the recruiting stuff. Let's get into it, gentlemen. Elite camp. Uh, I want to go position by position, kind of blend our takeaways, our evaluations, our own thoughts, along with Intel developments, who is here. So I think that's how we'll, we'll work through this for the next 20 to 30 minutes or so. Uh, but but just let's like general overview. I'll start with you, Zach. Like who was the either one, the most important player to show up or to the most impressive performance, or if you want to combine them into one, feel free, but let's just go with like the headliner for you. It's tough. I think in the 24 class, I think it's going a little bit under the radar, but Zaquan Patterson, um, he's a top two, four, seven defensive back that showed up. And I don't think when he arrived on campus at FSU or was planning to make this visit, 
he had planned to work out at the elite camp, but he, he walked out without, he walked into Doe Campbell stadium without a Jersey on. And then right as they were warming up, um, I guess the FSU staff convinced him to work out and he just changed into a Jersey right then and there. And I thought he was really impressive. Um, and I think it was a, a big deal that he, that he worked out. Um, FSU has been, you know, a little on and off recruiting him over the last half year or so. Um, I think they were hot and heavy with him early and maybe, you know, some of the communication um, tailed off a little bit, but I think that communication has picked up a lot within the last few weeks. And I think FSU's right back in his recruitment and he kind of, he kind of made it seem like he's Mike Norvell's guy. Um, His freshman year, he said he came up here for a camp and Mike Norvell brought him into his office and basically said like, I'm going to be the point man on your recruitment. Um, You know, we're going to be super close and that's kind of, what's happened since then. And now that he's heading into his senior year, FSU's in his top five, including other schools like Miami, Ohio state, Michigan, and I think Georgia. Um, so yeah, a really talented prospect. There's some question as to what he, he's going to be at the next level, what position um, I, he said that FSU considers him a playmaker. So I think that kind of tends to, to suggest that he'll, he'll he has a lot of versatility, um, but they think he's good enough to be, you know, a guy that they absolutely want to add to their 2024 class. I think in the 25 class, my headliner, um, can I make it a three-headed monster? It's the three five-star Georgia commits that uh, visited. Jaden Perlot, the linebacker, um, Micah DeBose, an offensive lineman, and Elias Williams, who knows 24-7 broke on Saturday, uh, was visiting FSU. Um, but all five-star prospects in the 2025 class all committed to the University of Georgia and all were on campus in Tallahassee on Saturday. Best player I saw was 2025 DN Jared Smith. Now, to let it be known, I mostly watched O-line and D-line. I did, you know, go over to the other areas just to take it in and see some of the other guys and whatnot. And I paid a bit of attention to the quarterbacks. But, uh, yeah, he's he's everything you want in a defensive end. He's six six and a half, legitimately, 15 years old. He bends unbelievably well. Good burst off the line. Not the best burst that I saw. I thought Zion Grady was a tad bit faster on that first step, but he was really good. Zion Grady in his own right was very good. O-line, D-line groups, and we'll dive into it more. I was very impressed by overall. I thought they were really good groups. I think the main storyline for me is, man, FSU quarterback recruiting is in a really good place. Uh, Luke Cromenhawk, he's elite. Uh, I hate throwing that word around, but hell, here I am doing it. That cat can play ball. I'm looking forward to him going to Elite 11. I'm, I'm hoping he performs at his best because he's legitimately really, really good. And I, I know we know that and like we've seen that, but it's wild to me that FSU took a kid who pretty much hadn't played a varsity high school game as a quarterback and he's turned into what he's turned into really quickly. Plus, personality wise, I just think Luke is it. I think yeah. he's a chameleon who's got a great personality who can fit in with any group of people in any room. And I think that's a magnificent trait to have as a quarterback. Tremel Jones gets better every time I see him. And that's a very good thing. Progression is what you want to see at the position. You know, I, I think the floor for Tremel Jones is excellent. The ceiling is to be determined. I think that's a really good thing. Now I'll throw out Roman Seymour. He actually came in for the quarterback camp on Friday, threw for FSU. He's a 2026 kid from Texas. His father is Roland Seymour, former Seminole great. Got a big old ring on the finger from his time at FSU. Roman came in here, tossed around, great velocity on the ball, big kid. Uh, you know, if you're creating a player, it's what you want it to look like. A really, really good thrower, good spin rate, good velocity, all those kind of things. <clears throat> still a bit young, still got things to learn, but it's there. And I thought he threw better on Saturday at elite camp than he yeah. did on Friday. And I thought he was good on Friday, but elite camp's a little bit more concentrated. Obviously got really good talent at your disposal to throw to. And I thought he looked really good doing it. So it's mind blowing to think, you know, hell 12 months ago, we were worrying about Chris Parson and thought Brock Glenn might be a long shot. Here we are now. And we're feeling really good about what they have in 24, 25 and 26. I love seeing the way that both Luke Cromenhawk and Tremel Jones interacted with each other as well. And that was to me a very stark contrast. Not to say that there was like tension between Chris Parson and Luke Cromenhawk last year, but just as we reflect like where where the dynamic of that room, of FSU recruiting, of the culture of the program is going in general, like there wasn't any drama with this year's elite camp, but there was last year. Like that was the most interesting part of of the camp was was Chris Parson going to show interviewing, up? Yeah, interviewing Chris Parson afterwards was like a huge... the word awkward comes to mind. Yeah, and and so I, I bring that up because I don't want that to be the focal point. But like seeing those two guys being both Tremel and Luke, they played a game of horse together afterwards. They were chatting with each other the entire time. They were throwing with each other when they were warming up. Like 
yes, like that's what it's supposed to be in terms of those guys supporting each other. I think that's a big reason why they were comfortable taking Tramel Jones because they knew that he would be comfortable being the guy after the class of someone as highly rated of Luke Romanoff. And they knew he was confident in himself. And like to see that with your own two eyes, like manifest itself as a real thing like that. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's an encouraging, it's a small detail, but it's an important one. Um, Luke Romanhawk, as Chris said, he, he is, we'll get started going into the position uh, by position stuff here. He is legit. He is, the, the ball flies out of his hand as easily as you would want it to in a quarterback. He's athletic. He's very self-assured with himself. Uh, and a side note here, I think not that it was a lingering issue by any means, but it's just nice to get it off the table. Georgia got its quarterback commit for the class of 2024 and Dylan Riola. You don't have to worry about them late in the cycle or anything like that. Let's start kicking around like the tires on Luke Romanoff. So that's, that's great. So I was watching clips cause I didn't really watch quarterbacks a ton. Um, but I was watching clips and there's one throw that Luke makes where he slides off the table. It's clear that I think coach Tokar is wanting him to basically not stay centered, you know, work like you're shifting in the pocket, having to make a throw. And it's essentially a slant to the middle. Like you would be going under a linebacker before you get to the safety, but he makes almost like a sidearm throw leading it into a little window. It's, it's a simple eight, 10 yard throw, but it's so not simple. And he did it really, really well. But that's where Luke really impresses. It's like the arm strength is fine. The ability to go vertical is there. The ability to throw in the small windows is there. The ability to throw to a receiver who's going to get open is there. But the ability to make throws where you're kind of throwing them open, that that's what separates really good from really great quarterbacks. And it, I I mean, it's just a camp, so I don't want to do that. But like, it was an it was a throw. It was it was cool to see on film. Speaking of Elite Eleven, um, Luke will will fly out there this week for the finals out in. I think it's in Los Angeles. And I asked him about, you know, what he's looking forward to. And he said, I'm going to go win it. Um, he's definitely aiming to win it. After the camp, I guess Elite 11 uses a different football or something like that. Um, and he was throwing it around with with uh, FSU's, like, assistant. I guess he's now running back coach, but former quarterback coach, uh, Alex Elisame, who is a uh, former FSU walk-on quarterback as well. And, and he was saying... He was actually throwing it with Tremel as well, and they were saying how how the ball felt different. So, I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to Elite 11 this week and kind of seeing how Luke performs. I think he's going to be one of the most impressive quarterback prospects there, not only on the field but off the field, and any of the you know the the, the stuff they do to to test you know the minds of the quarterbacks. I think if you go watch the official visit episode we did with uh, Luke a couple months ago um, with all the X's and O's guys and I. I think that was one of the most impressive like interviews slash, I don't know what you want to call it, video uh, content uh, pieces that we've ever done um, with a recruit. I mean, he was just beyond impressive breaking down his film. His memory um, is absurd. I mean, his recollection of just specific plays throughout the entire, his entire junior season. Um, he just remember where they were at in the exact portion of the game. I mean, if you haven't watched that, I would highly suggest go watching that on our YouTube channel and go on the live section and go go back a few months it's the it's called the official visit with luke kermanhawk i i'm really excited i think he can um prove to a lot of people why he's an elite quarterback prospect this week and and i'm gonna you know have my eyes glued on those elite 11 updates via uh, our national guys i think andrew ivins is headed out to la to watch that that competition unfold I think uh, I think Bud Elliott said he'll be there as well, and Bud was up, uh, helping us out with coverage this weekend too. And it, I think we all knew last year when we saw Luke in person, like we we thought he'd be good when he committed because we had seen Chris and I remember going to that camp. It was it was like weekend. It was a late. It was like the last individual camp, and uh, he looked good there. And he got to see the growth that he made year over year last camp, and it was really good. We were all impressed. Bud was yeah. up there. Zach, we all got to see him. Then you get to see the jump again this year, and it just it keeps stacking and it keeps getting better. Uh, one other recruit I want to mention at quarterback before we move forward, Cameron Hill from Thomasville, Georgia, yeah. nearby Thomasville. Yep. Um, there was another guy about 30 years ago who came to Florida State from Thomasville, Charlie Ward. Also, shout out Jurassic Park, 30 years old yesterday. It's a whole other thing, guys. Um, but but Cameron but Cameron Hill Cam Hill was very solid I thought good size maybe a little bit bigger than Tremel Jones is right now is a year younger than him uh, someone who still has a lot of uh, 
refining to do with this game, but like the good moments uh, on Saturday were good. And I believe FSU will continue to recruit him because they like what they saw. They're not in a rush. Obviously he's 2026, 20, uh, but he's a name to know. I have to create a profile for him at 24 seven sports, but, but yeah, really, really solid player there and, and relatively local. Uh, let's move to running back. Uh, Cam Davis, Zach, you were paying a little bit more attention to the running back group. He's obviously committed to Florida state. I think we have a good idea of what he is and what his game is, but I'll be damned, man. Like his, Foot speed was really impressive. Uh, I thought catching the ball impressive too. Getting vertical, uh, did, did he impress you, or, or maybe better word, did he surprise you at all with some of the things he showed in that camp setting? I've watched him do similar things before, so not super surprised. But I just I think he overall, like you, when you look at him, you don't expect him to be as quick as he is. Um, he moves downfield at a, a really um, quick rate. And I think, you know, Makai Danzi, I talked to Makai Danzi, um, another top two, four, seven running back that FSU wants to add to their class after the camp about the possibility of, of joining, um, Cam Davis and FSU's running back class. And he mentioned that, that Cam's a short and stocky dude, but he surprised him by, you know, just how uh, speedy he was at the camp and getting downfield. And there are multiple plays where Cam Davis just blew back or blew past, um, Sorry, there's like a you're getting feedback or something. Yeah, I think I'm gonna see who whose it is. Oh, I have a wild one. guess. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So Cam Davis is really impressive. <laughs> this um, is gonna bother him so much now. The rest of it. <laughs> he's gonna go MacGyver on it and try to fix it. Things, yeah. <laughs> Cam Davis is uh really impressive, and you know he had awesome um plays multiple times on Saturday uh, as they did one-on-ones and he was going up against some DBs and linebackers that they had in attendance. Yeah. I didn't know he was as fast as he was. Sorry. Go ahead, Chris. I I knew he he was good, like straight line speed, but like the foot quickness was all right. That worked real quick. Micah Danzi working out. He came right off of a track meet and did that. They were kind of surprised he worked out. They thought he was just going to come and hang out. So that, that excited FSU. They were pleased to see that. I think, to a degree, it's, you know, definition of toughness for a guy to be willing to do that. Um, did Alvin Henderson work out or was he just hanging out? Just he hung, hung out. out. I heard he had a minor injury going in and there was a possibility of him working out, but they, he just decided not to. Yeah, good to get him back on campus. So Elba, Elba being a receiver 2025, I think he's arguably their top target in that class right now. He's a guy we went and saw during the spring. Zach and him chatted. You can go find that interview. Sharp kid. FSC's done an excellent job there. Let's go to wide receiver. Uh, maybe, well, I don't know where we want to start with this. You know what? Uh, not not the biggest name among the group, but like I want to give a shout out to BJ Gibson. I thought he was one of the most consistent wide receivers that we saw on the day. I thought the evaluation take was good at the time, but like his polish as a route runner was impressive. I know Dane walked away very impressed with, with BJ Gibson as well. So like for a guy who, thought would be a really good athlete like yes that like checked out but seemed very uh sure of himself as like a as a route runner as just a general receiver so i think if you're fsu you walk away from the camp feeling really good about that evaluation and seeing him go against some really good defensive backs uh jamie french yeah i was gonna say the 2025 guys jamie french and kobe howard uh, on different sides of i-10 there uh are both worth uh talking about jamie french uh we know really good. We got to see him in the spring, seen him multiple times. Zach has before said that the uh, Jacksonville Mandarin prospect is maybe the best wide receiver in the state in 2025. I think that remains clear when you watch him move. Uh, but then also we were really impressed with Kobe Howard out of Pensacola too. Um, also 2025. Zach, what was the deal with Kobe Howard? Is he hurt? Was he hurt this past season? Is like his rankings a little suppressed, I think, for what he, he actually is talent-wise. So last summer, he suffered a really nasty leg injury at a Miami camp, um, like a one of these types of camps that he went. I think it was a seven-on-seven, and he was out for like probably three-fourths of his junior or sophomore season, um, and then came back for like the final few games. He played with uh, FSU uh, 2023 signee defensive back Jabril Rawls at Pensacola Catholic. He's a talented prospect. Um, you know, the, the height is – I think the biggest issue with him, I don't think he's that tall, but what he showed on Saturday, I thought he looks like he's in the best, um, you know, playing shape that I've seen since he returned from the injury. Dane and I went and watched him play on um, one of the games he came back and he still looked a little bit rusty, 
but he looks, you know, as good as he was before the injury now. And I think he's a guy that FSU is going to continue to talk to in that 2025 class. A guy who camped, maybe the guy who, who camped, but I don't think he did everything with the one-on-ones. He did some stuff earlier on, and that's five-star wide receiver Cam Coleman, uh, a, a really high priority guy for FSU in the 2024 cycle. Obviously, he's five stars, but he's from Alabama, so a little bit of a of a roadblock there. But, hey, he got here. He showed up. Zach uh, Intel on, on that visit and the interview that Knowles 24-7 had with him afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I thought his interview might have been the most insightful out of – pretty much any interview we got. Um, he basically said that, um, you know, FSU was like, he could have been anywhere this past weekend on an official visit. I mean, he's pretty much got any option in, in the country to go to, uh, you know, college at. And he decided to camp at Florida State on Saturday um, because of just his high interest level in the school. I think FSU has more of a shot with him than maybe people think. Um, he's a guy that, um, Florida State's been targeting for a while. Um, he's been a top target for them even before he, you know, ascended into five-star range for, you know, on all these networks within the last few months. FSU has been prioritizing him a ton. So, yeah, I mean, he's got a great relationship with multiple members of the staff. Ron Dugans, Austin Tucker, who prioritizes Alabama recruiting for FSU. It's going to be a tough pull. I think Auburn probably leads for Cam Coleman right now. Um but he did say that FSU is a lock to get an official visit from him at some point down the line. And obviously guys have unlimited official visits now, but it's important that FSU gets him back for an OV if they have a shot, if they want to have a shot to land him um, down the stretch. And, you know, I don't know. I don't think he's in a, a rush to decide, um, but I think Auburn is, is probably the biggest competition for FSU among other schools involved in his recruitment, like Texas A&M, Florida, Clemson, and a few others. Camp Coleman brings about a good subplot of the day. A lot of Alabama kids and good Alabama kids. Alvin yep. Henderson, Cam Coleman, Jared Smith, Zion Grady, Dalen Upshaw. I'm probably forgetting one or two more. All were from the state of Alabama. All were on campus at FSU. All are guys that FSU has built really good relationships with. I know Alabama and Mississippi brings up PTSD for people in recruiting. I understand that. But, hey, you aim for 10. Hopefully you get one or two. Sometimes it can be major difference makers. Cam Coleman falls in that category. So does Jared Smith that I'll talk about later. So wide receiver board, I think that comes with, we don't have to dive too much into this, but I think it is an interesting talking point, Chris, because people on the board were, were talking about all weekend about all the Alabama guys. I think one, depends where in Alabama, right? Like if you're in South Alabama, that's a little different. Like say, uh, which one's from Troy? Which recruit? Well, Alvin's from Elba. Uh, Dalen Upshaw and Cam Coleman are from Phoenix City up there near Columbus, Georgia, right over the border, basically. That's Auburn territory, but you're... yeah. Jared's from Birmingham, uh, Spain Park High School up in that area. That's a toughie. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, Auburn's major competition for three of those four. Jared Smith, everybody's going to be competition because that dude's going to be one of the best in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, Zion Grady is from, I think he's from Detroit. Detroit. He might be from he's Detroit. Henderson. Detroit. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's a so mixed bag. That's part of it. Uh, but I think the other thing is, it, I don't think there's any issue with going to recruit an elite prospect out of Alabama. You know, it's going to be difficult. Uh, what can't happen is you don't have plan B's. Yeah, make sure you have options. And I think that's what the Keldrick Falk recruitment taught us. Um, I think that's one thing to be aggressive. And then you just have to, you can't bank on that. Um, and understand that was a bit of an outlier of a recruitment, but it, it did happen. You got to learn, move forward. Uh, let's talk real quick about tight ends in in uh, or at the elite camp. I was going to say in the 2026 class, but that's because I'm looking at the first guy on my list here, and that's Kendra Harrison, 2026 tight end from North Carolina. Started off a little bit slow, but, man, he got progressively better as the day went on. He is massive as a prospect. Uh, he looks a lot like already, uh, but I remember seeing him as a, as a recruit, and that's Darnell Washington, the, the Georgia tight end, uh, who's now in the NFL. Like just broad-shouldered, moves extremely well. Uh, in a straight line and start playing with that size towards the end of the camp. So like he had a, a guy who will probably be a high end blue chip prospect. I don't think he's ranked currently, um, but someone who will be a blue chip prospect uh, down the road. Going yeah, he, he hung around for Sunday too. He was out at mega camp, just hanging around. I think he had some teammates that were participating in that. Cause he came with a decent group from Reedsville. I believe it is in North Carolina. I, I was, I didn't watch him work out a ton again. I stuck to my big men, but I was pleased that physically he looked good because his measurements make me think he's just so big, but he carries it well. And from all accounts, he moved pretty well too. Go ahead, Zach. 
No, I was going to say he was a really impressive prospect. I mean, he was making plays downfield consistently. Um, and a guy that, you know, probably had a better performance on the day than um, the Elias Williams, the 2025 UGA commit, I thought. Um, and just like Chris said, he's listed at 6'7". Um, I think that's probably correct. He might be like 6'6", but um, carries the weight really well. He's not just like a long, lanky guy. I mean, he's he's got a thicker build, which is impressive for a 2026 prospect. And, you know, Chris, is there a chance that, that he can reclassify to 25? You talking about Harrison? I am not sure. I can poke around on that. I, think Bud, I, don't, I don't know yeah. offhand that that's a case. I know. I think Bud put it in the thread on the mega camp. He was talking to him at the mega camp, and apparently he's already like 16 years old. So there's a possibility okay. for him to reclassify. Yeah, I know he's someone that, in talking to Bud on Saturday evening after the elite camp, he's somebody that they do, as a company, they view as a very high-level prospect for 26 currently. No, we did have Elias Williams, the Georgia commit, that Zach mentioned. I thought he was a little bit more impressive, more consistent, but, like, you know, no. both are going to be blue chip. One's a blue chip guy already. Another one's going to be a blue chip guy. Chris, I understand why you're the president of the fan club, the, uh, the arm yeah. length, the athleticism, the ball skills. Yeah. it's pretty You good. watch him play basketball and it translates to football, and he's really good at it. He's also willingly physical in football, which is sometimes tough for a younger big kid. I, I think he's awesome. Landon Thomas, also a blue chip recruit and a commit uh, for Florida State, a uh, former Georgia uh, commitment. So uh, FSU's just chipping away at the Georgia guys, but uh, he was there. Credit to him. He participated both at the camp this weekend and in seven on seven tournament earlier in the week as well. So it's good for a guy of his stature, show up, compete multiple settings. It's what you want to see. Uh, you could tell he's got a lot of physical tools, still plenty of room to develop and to become more consistent, but like the, the foot speed at his size is super unique. All right, Chris, here we go. You ready? Some big men talk. I'm here for it. Okay. Offensive line uh, had, I think the 2025 group uh, was probably more impressive from a star perspective, but some, 2024 20, guys that you want to work out as well. Uh, so let's go. You, you spent the majority of the time in the trenches, uh, but let's start with 2024. Jaden Todd is someone that the staff was intrigued by coming to camp. Uh, it seemed like he held his own. And uh, is this a, uh, did he have a performance that elevates him on the board in your estimation? I mean, the big question is, does he get offered? He hasn't yet to this moment in time. Do I think he's going to get offered? I do. Uh, I, there's definitely people on the staff that are fighting for him to get offered. There are people that are very high on him. The number one comment I heard was that technique fundamental-wise, got some learning to do, got some work to do. Not all that unusual with bigger body kids, especially from smaller towns. But, like, the ability to get around him just wasn't there. He's so wide, massive, and fairly athletic with decent feet, good feet, actually, that it's just really hard to get around the kids. So, yes, I think there's a real chance that FSU offers him. You know, we mentioned the Andre Otto, Chris Otto comparisons with him in the sense that they're both Ivy League intelligence kids, big bodies, a little bit different of a recruit versus your normal kid that you deal with personality wise. And it, it all holds. It's all very true about Jaden Todd. And there are people on this staff that are equally as excited about him as they were about Otto a year ago. Credit to FSU staff. They're not afraid to go to unusual places to, uh, to find a big man. Uh, Chris Thompson went around to his region. That's his region. Really liked the kid. South, uh, South couple, Georgia for the people listening. Yeah. It's Dublin, Georgia is the area that he lives in. West Lawrence is a high school. He, uh, you know, there's people that work alongside Alex Atkins that break down film, evaluate film alongside him, and they loved him on film. And he's a baseball football kid, and, yeah, he's got a lot to work with. I, I think they're going to pull the trigger. Um, we're seeing some stuff go out today. Expectation is some stuff goes out today. It'll be interesting to see if he's one of them. But I think they're really close. Um, they're not in a rush to just take high school linemen to take high school linemen with this day and age of the portal. But I think he's a kid that's kind of worked the swing because he is such a massive athletic body with a lot of traits that you really like. So Dublin, Georgia has two. Him and Nazir Johnson are both. They're different high schools, but the same area. Yeah. Two, two 300-pound uh, D1 prospects. Athletic freaks. They're both, they're both pretty good area. athletes for being big boys. Yeah. That's funny. All right. So uh, the 2025 class, Chris, I think was the one to really pay attention to. Micah DeBose was there. He worked out and think we were expecting that the Georgia commit him uh, Max Buchanan is someone you love from Seminole High School Solomon Thomas uh, someone that we've seen camp before he seems to be getting better let's maybe focus on those guys but just general thoughts on on the trench class in general on the offensive side of the ball 
I really like Solomon Thomas a lot. Uh, FSU offered Solomon Thomas a year ago at camp, and seeing the progression from that point to now, it's it's obvious. His body's gotten bigger. He's a very strong kid, does an excellent job of getting his hands on people, moves his feet pretty well. There's stuff that he's still learning. He might end up being an interior guy instead of a tackle, but he's a high-level good football player. Max Buchanan, uh, kind of cat that would put his face in a fan. Like That's the best way I can describe him. He loves being physical and aggressive. He gets his hands on people. He's excellent with his hands for a high school offensive lineman. Not shocking. His father is a high school offensive line coach for Seminole High School, which regularly competes for state titles, as Brendan can point out, as a Central Florida native. And uh, I like Max a ton. I think Max can be really, really good. He's a kid that, again, we've kind of seen him progress. He's continually done stuff with FSU for the last couple of years now. And, you know, I saw him at Under Armour's event in Central Florida. I saw him here recently in the last couple of months. He was very good in both performances. Micah DeBose was fine. He was good. Uh, maybe I expected too much because of the Georgia connotation and everything that comes with it. He didn't blow my socks off, but he wasn't bad either. He was perfectly fine. I just, I think I expected too much, truthfully. Like reflecting in that one 24 hours after the camp, I wasn't blown away by him. I wasn't underwhelmed by him. It just was. Uh, but he carries the weight good. He's done a good job of shedding weight. He used to carry a decent amount of bad weight. He doesn't seem to be that way anymore. The frame's excellent. Like, I understand why he's valued as he is. He just didn't blow me away. And then, uh, you know, it's worth mentioning, he didn't participate, but the onlooker was David Sanders, number one player in the 2025 class from Charlotte, North Carolina, Providence Day School. He spent the entire weekend at FSU along with multiple family members, mom and dad and the sibling. And, uh, you know, he, he took it in the camp. He was intently watching. He didn't want to get out there and work for whatever reason. I, I don't know if it's a high school thing or whatever. He's the number one player in the country. Probably really doesn't have to. But uh, he was invested in it. He, he was mimicking things they were teaching, mimicking things they were learning, taking mental reps. It was noticeable with him. And, man, he is ultra impressive. Caught up with him on Sunday as he departed campus to fly back home with his family. He is uh, future president material. I mean, he's smart as hell. He's really well-rounded kid. Everybody I talked to at FSU that dealt with him over the weekend was ultra impressed by him personality wise. He carries the weight. Great. He's a really good athlete. Like, you know, checks all those boxes as I love to say, but he does. There's a reason he is in that contention with uh, Elijah to D tackle from Savannah as probably the best player in the 2025 class. And I, I think Jared Smith's an Owen. It will be in that discussion, but there's a reason he's there. He wholeheartedly belongs there, both physically, mentally, everything he brings to the table is there. Yeah. I- Oh, go ahead, I was Zach. talking to someone at FSU about him, and they said that he was one of the top prospects they've ever evaluated. Um, his film is ridiculously impressive at both offensive tackle, which he's likely going to play at the next level, and defensive end. Um, apparently, the second half of his film is like pretty much all defensive end, and it's just as impressive. Like He might be a five-star prospect at both. <laughs> What, which one do you think is more valuable? Like, which one would be? Well, you know, no. Offensive I mean, tackle. We have a lot. We have yeah. a lot to get to. I won't. There, it's tough to find great offensive tackles who can be left tackles, and David Sanders can be a left tackle. Oh God, Chris put a left tackle stamp of approval on him, guys. That's, I did. We need to have like a graphic made up for that when that happens. It doesn't happen very often. There's like a half dozen every given year, maybe. It means something. Yep. All right, so let's go to defensive defensive line, Chris. Uh, and I want to start off with the two 2025 defensive ends. Both looked amazing in different ways well let's just kind of park the bus there for a minute or two and talk about jared smith and zion grady yeah first step zion grady's got jared by literally a step but they're both impressive off the jump but jared smith's frame lankiness build bend. ability to bend yeah. uh, it's elite all, all of those characteristics are elite and his first step is perfectly fine he can probably get a tad bit faster uh i thought he was really good zion grady as well also very very good uh, there's a reason I think they're top two guys in Alabama in that class, and they're top two guys at that position nationally. They belong there. They deserve it. Zion Grady bucks and just gets after you, gets his hands on you, can move you. That group as a whole, really, really good. And I like that they had good competition to go against on the offensive line. It made it a much better camp. You know, it wasn't kind of David versus Goliath. It was a couple of Goliaths going against each other, which was refreshing. You know, we had other guys like Jalen Wiggins, local defensive lineman. He showed enough get off on the edge, but he's a guy we expect to grow into an interior guy. Elias Williams is in very interesting body from Hudson, Florida. He could be an edge. I think he's going to keep growing and potentially end up like a three tech inside guy. He's just he's a large body who looks like he can carry a lot of mass on that body. And I think he'll be good at that. We had what Isaiah Gibson from South Georgia, Warner Robins area, 2025 kid. He's already got an FSU offer. I thought he held his own and did very well on the day. Again, 
big body that's still developing. Uh, Smith and Grady are without a doubt edge guys. The other ones were all sort of like to be determined, like big bodies. I think Wiggins is almost certainly going to end up an inside guy. The other two are a little bit more, which way is it going to go as it continues to fill out? But I thought as a whole, that group was really good. Excellent reps turned in by them on the day. I tried to put up a great deal of one-on-ones of O-line, D-line, so you can check that out. We also have a highlight video on the site from the event camp, and it has a good bit of that in it as well. But, yeah, they, they got excellent D-line talent in for this camp, and they're in a pretty good spot in 25 with that group. Uh, D-tackle is going to be interesting, but I think a couple of those guys I just talked about can end up at D-tackle, and I don't think it's a stretch. I think their bodies are going to go that direction. Did you talk about Elias Williams when I was gone with that in mind? I did. And I said that like right now he views himself as an edge and he can play edge, but like that body can carry ball. And there's some interesting athletic traits to him. He's kind of a basketball football kid where it looks like a guy that can probably move inside and play with power. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that mentally that's where he is at in his evolution as a player, but they get there as they fill into their frames. Worth noting that like the three main recruiters on him are Mike Norvell, Adam Fuller, and then John Papoushis. So that's worthwhile to know right now. But I'm with you. I saw him in person and said, yeah, that kid probably on the Josh Farmer track for how he'll develop physically. He did say he's setting an official visit or has set an official visit to FSU on November 11th. That is the Miami game. Uh, also told me that – sorry, my dog's click-clacking around here. Also told me that basically FSU's coaching staff is going to start pushing for him to – to join the class sooner or later here too. Uh, that's how he's per, uh, perceiving it. So noteworthy note there. Uh, let's move on to linebacker group and secondary. Uh, linebackers had some good players in attendance. I, I didn't think any one of the group that we saw work out really stood out at all. Zach, was there anyone you would add? Or am I, I, was I too harsh in the eval we did the other day on it? I mean, did Tavion Wallace work out? I didn't notice if he did. I'm uh, pretty sure he did. He was a little bit more... Uh, sawed off than I had anticipated. Uh, not quite as bursty either. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I didn't get really good a good look at them. I was watching more of the, the running backs, receivers, quarterbacks, and defensive backs. I didn't really get to see a lot of the linebacker play, but um, yeah, no one stood out to me at that position. The most significant name that was here was Jaden Perlott, uh, Jordan, didn't work five out. star and 25. He did not work out. I did speak to him afterwards, asked him why he keeps showing up at FSU. He told me, it's his third or fourth time here. He couldn't remember exactly, but it, to my knowledge, it's at least his third. And uh, he said mainly it's the relationships. He's got a really, really good one with Mike Norvell. I noticed him and Mike Norvell talking as the event was ending and they were leaving the field. And uh, he was back on Sunday hanging out at the mega camp. And he's just a kid that really gets along with the staff. Randy Shannon's a guy that he name dropped and he likes a good bit. He likes how he coaches a position, what he brings to the position, his history at the position. He brought that up and he intends to keep coming back. You mentioned a handful of other schools. And it was the who's who's. It was the Ohio State, I believe, Bama, USC. I might be forgetting another one that are in this for him beyond Georgia. And he just sounds like a kid that, well, he likes where he is with Georgia and the commitment. He's solid in that. He's not acting like he's not going to go to Georgia. He wants to truly evaluate some other options. And FSU certainly has positioned themselves as one of those. Let's go to the secondary now. We'll finish it off there. Uh, Zach mentioned Chaminade, DB, Saquon Patterson earlier. One other note that I'll add, and I think it was Zach who mentioned it, uh, not on the podcast earlier, but if it was someone else, uh, forgive me. Uh, Mike Norvell not only is like play, paying close attention to Zaquan Patterson as a recruit, but like actually like during the camp, Mike was spending a ton of time like coaching him up and paying attention to what he was doing as well. So uh, very clearly uh, a guy who Norvell is is emphasizing. I thought he was far more athletic than I was expecting. I was picturing like a big, not lumbering, but but kind of more of a big bodied uh, type of prototypical, like strong safety. And he was one of the better, more fluid athletes while we were there. Uh, Hilton Stubbs from Jacksonville Mandarin, his, his older brother is currently on uh, campus at FSU as a, as a walk-on. I thought he looked good and Dane liked him a lot. And some of his fluidity at his size. He's a guy FSU is very high on, on the 2025 sac- cycle, excuse me. Uh, a guy that we saw that we ended up kind of liking who really got on, cover gem right now but i expect to to develop into a legitimate fbs target is 2025 db say thomas he might have been the best corner we saw all day uh but but i think ultimately the best corner probably after reflecting on it talking to sources uh someone we liked at the time uh then that's dallas golden athlete from yeah. tampa berkeley prep 
Yeah, I asked yesterday to somebody that would know at Mega Camp, like who stood out to you yesterday on the field at the elite camp at that position. First name out of their mouth was Dallas Golden with very little to no hesitation. He's a very silky smooth athlete who knows how to play the position. Chris, did did that person that you spoke spoke with, uh, did we mention every single person in our report who they thought looked good? They brought up three to me. So they brought up Golden, uh, Greg Thomas, and I kind of brought up Stubbs with them, and they praised how he performed as well. So they did bring that name up as well and chatted about it. On uh, Thomas, he's a guy that I guess – they're sort of waiting on a little bit of game film before they go ahead and pull the trigger, but they did like him a heck of a lot. He, I believe, is at Heritage now. He's has He has Aquinas and Heritage ties, but defensive backs coach Pat Sertan is familiar with him, obviously, from his former ties in that area and coaching in those high schools, specifically at Heritage. Uh, Zach, the you, you were paying attention to the DB group. If you want to add anyone, please feel free. Uh, but also, let's talk a little bit about the Chaminade group in general. We haven't talked about Jody Schrader showing up and um, yeah, just that significance of the elite camp weekend as well. I think you guys covered everyone um, that I was going to mention in the DB group, all the standouts. Um, but yeah, there were two other Shaman Madonna prospects of note, Jojo Trader, who's one of FSU's top overall targets in the 2024 class. He showed up, um, he's recovering from an injury, so he didn't actually work out at the elite camp, but he was an onlooker and he was on campus all weekend. He arrived on Friday before leaving on Sunday I caught up with him after the visit on Sunday or Saturday evening, and he said FSU's in his top three. Um, he kind of named four schools, but he said FSU is within his top three. The other three schools would be Miami, Georgia, and Ohio State. I think right now it's a Miami and an FSU battle, but I'm not discounting the out-of-state schools either. Um, I think JoJo Trader, his recruitment might start really heating up um, as far as, you know, him getting on a ton of campuses uh, probably in the fall. Um, I think he's kind of on wait and see mode um, on pause a little bit on whether he's going to, or when he's going to really venture out to a bunch of campuses and start using his official visits. But it was huge for FSU to get him on campus unofficially for multiple days, basically like a quasi official visit, um, obviously on his, his own dime, but um, really positive for FSU to, to get that done. And then joining him at his same high school, um, in the 2025 class was four-star Michigan defensive back commit Chris Ewald, who told Dane Draper after the camp, um, he also did not work out, that um, FSU was pretty much neck and neck uh, with Michigan in his recruitment. And I think that's obviously a really positive um, quote. And, that, and Mike Norvell has a, a hand in both of those recruitments, and especially Ewald, that's a guy that, that Norvell has um, been talking up for a while. FSU's doing a great job with both of those guys. Um, obviously, JoJo Trader is the more pertinent name just because he's in the current class. But uh, FSU really, really likes Chris Ewell and wants to flip him from Michigan badly. Well, so a productive weekend for Florida State overall. A productive first. It's only been a week of camps. Uh, feels like longer than that, especially for the man to the top right corner of your screen. Chris Beanie. Uh, yeah, it's been a lot so far. Uh it's not done yet either. There's more camps and there's more recruiting stuff happening because official visits are currently happening right now from a pair of DB recruits. Kai Bates from Orlando Edgewater High, an ascending talent, someone who's consistently moved up the board the last uh, maybe six months or so. And then Jameer Grimsley from Tampa Catholic. Uh, Chris, let's talk about Bates a little bit. And then Zach, once he's done, uh, Jameer Grimsley, and then we'll figure out where to go after that. Yeah, Bates is a 6'1", 180 type of DB, very athletic kid. Uh, I think we rank him about top 100, like right at the cusp of the top 100 in the composite. He's more like 225-ish. I think he's going to continue to trend up. I think he's one that might be an outlier for us, but I think the industry as a whole will catch up. Very talented cat. He's already taken an official, uh, I believe, to Bama was to start things off for him. And then he's coming here currently. He's going to Tennessee in a week kind of figure out something for the end of the month he also took an unofficial to ohio state in there recently yeah i think lsu is going to be the end of the month visit okay so that would be the 23rd that one was kind of unsettled but very very talented kid FSU wanted to get him on campus they pushed really hard to get him in it's some scheduling had to be worked out because of the ohio state visit kind of messing with that official visit weekend and fsu obviously also had camps for that weekend um Thing I've heard consistently, very important to get his mother on the visit. They're very close. She is supposed to come on the visit. That's a good sign for FSU. FSU is going to have to swing big this weekend or 
these coming days that act like an official visit weekend and make an impression here. But really, really talented guy. You know, we're trying to figure out the DB board in kind of real time, but he fits the mold of big, long athlete who can play multiple positions. That seems to be the go-to for FSU. All right, so we're going to play Byers Sinone. Well, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Oh, we'll God. Forget about J-Rock here. Jameer Grimsley, 6'3", 185-pound um, cornerback listed in our rankings. He's a guy that's really ascended. Um, at the beginning of the year, he had zero offers. Uh, at the end of January is when schools kind of started to pick up um, on his skill set. And FSU was one of his first big offers. It was really Penn State that's, that kicked things off. And then FSU is the next um, big-time Power 5 school to enter the mix. But since then, he's added Alabama, Michigan, North Carolina, um, and, a, and a number of other schools, UF. But, yeah, his OV, his OV slate is a busy one. He's already been at UNC. Um, he was at, or he's, yeah, it was at Penn State. Oh my God. Um, yeah, Penn State over the weekend. Yeah, um, now at FSU. And he um, will go to Alabama next weekend and then Michigan to end the month. So he's taking all five official visits this month and he's going to make a decision, hopefully. Um, he says, uh, you know, before his senior season starts, probably at the end of August. Um, so maybe July or August decision for Jameer Grimsley. FSU likes him a lot. Um, he's a lengthier defensive back than Kai Bates, a guy that that I expect to keep ascending up the rankings just because of how talented um, he is. And he's also a, a talented track athlete. He ran 10.84 in the 100-meter dash um, this offseason. All right. So we have to get out of here, I think, soon is what's happening. Chris has to leave. Uh, at three o'clock. So we have a hard out. Now we have official visits to talk about still that are coming up. Probably gonna have to punt that for later. Um, yeah. Apologies. We'll preview this coming weekend. We have a more important story to get to. I had a bunch of buyers to know. So we're going to do it rapid fire. Then we're going to get Zach's story. And Chris, if you want to leave while he's talking, I think that would be a chef's kiss to, to all of this. Uh, but buyers to know rapid shot, rapid fire sponsored by the Turner group. The Turner group. Right. Buyers to know. Makai Danzi is a take. Bye. Bye. Byers known Jeremiah Smith, the chances of becoming a seminal are more than 25%. So no, I'm going to sit down. I think the Buckeyes hold on to him for now. George is probably the one that's making the biggest push. Zach did have some important scoop over at Knowles 24 seven. Check that out later. Byers known Destin Hill. Bye. Bye. Uh, Byers known. Uh, I should drop an insider report on J Trav's weight. So known. So known for your sanity. He looks good though. He does. He's in very good shape. I noticed his weight, Brendan. He dropped into quarterback camp on Friday, and uh, yeah, he he's in good shape. He's done Dude, a really little, good job. Building a little birdie told me he's weighing, uh, you know, two hundred and fifty pounds. Um. All right, by Orsonone. Zach's last name will now be Zach Justice after he got justice on the most uh, really elaborate heist of uh, the history of heist. Can I explain? Yes, please. So about a month ago, um, two days after my graduation, three days before my birthday in early May, um, I get robbed. I get stuff lifted out of my car, out of my apartment complex. And yeah, I lost my computer, my camera, my camera lens um, in the bag that I was in. Well, a month goes by, you know, I did all the, the stuff you're told to do, file a police report. I called all the pawn shops in the area, checked Facebook marketplace, um, mm -hmm. Craigslist, all that kind of stuff. Nothing shows up, no leads, nothing, right? Thought it was a lost cause. Well, about a week ago on Saturday, I think of last weekend, I'm just on Facebook to check how our No 24-7 Facebook is doing. Um, just trying to see you know, the kind of engagement you guys are showing on the Facebook page. And I'm like, you know, haven't checked Facebook Marketplace in a few weeks, might as well check it. Well, I see my camera lens and my computer, the exact matches to what I lost, listed on Facebook Marketplace by the same person. So I'm like, that's got to be my stuff. So I start on a, you know, crazy, uh, you know, venture to try and figure out, you know, what what's going on here. Um, so I send Chris Nee in the group chat, um, my or the Facebook page that's listed um, as selling my stuff. 
the person uses it was using a fake name, but I sent it to Chris Nee within three minutes. I'm, I said, Chris, use your internet sleuth skills and find out who this is. Literally within three minutes, I'm on the phone with my mom and Chris sends me the person's real name. I look that person up. They've got a crazy criminal history. I'm like, this is, this got to be the person. So that kind of gets the ball rolling. Thanks to Chris's internet sleuthing skills. I knew it would come in handy for something other than uh, stalking 15 year old recruits at one point. Um, but that was huge. So I appreciate Chris a ton. Um, we'll get into Brendan's uh, involvement or lack thereof in this uh, scenario in a bit. But yeah, so um, I get all that information, find out all the information about this individual who I suspect uh, you know stole my stuff and try to get in contact with the police to get help on this. Well, what I noticed is that over the weekend, because I figured out on a Saturday what was going on, I did not get a lot of help. Um, there was not a lot going on. Couldn't get in contact with officers to try and get to the bottom of this. So, you know, I kind of had to wait until Monday for my my case to get like approved and get assigned to a detective and stuff. So I get the uh, the case finally assigned to a detective. I get a call that Monday um, after finding out that weekend, and that's kind of when things started to to really um, progress in the case. So the plan was to try and set up a meeting to buy back the items that I had lost, um, you know, buy back, uh, basically set up a sting where, um, the person would meet me to, uh, you know, for me to fake buy the items and then the cops would show up and, um, you know, arrest the individual. So we try, um, at some point that week, this was last week, this all unfolded last week. So we tried at some point last week, I think it was on Thursday, is when we actually tried to do it. And then on on Thursday, it didn't work out because the individual was saying he had to wipe all the stuff off of my MacBook. Um, so, you know, we pushed it to Friday. So literally Friday morning, this is the day before FSU's, you know, huge weekend of elite camp and mega camp. I'm doing this uh, sting operation where I meet the police. There are about five officers. I get into the back of an unmarked car. You know, we all the police are ready. They got their vests. They got, you know, um, weapons and, and everything. And, and we're ready to go. So we pull up um, at a local um, supermarket in Tallahassee. And I'm like, you know, meet me here. Um, you know, we're waiting there for, you know, about 10 minutes. There's a bunch of us in unmarked police vehicles in the parking lot. I get the person. Um, I tell them I'm at this specific location. The detective notices him first. I'm like, that's definitely him, you know, just based on looking at his Facebook profile and stuff. So we roll up on the individual um, really quickly. All the cops like kind of surround him. He gets arrested. Um, about five minutes pass. The, you know, they start going through the bag he had brought and it was all my stuff. It matched all the serial numbers that I had provided the police for my lens and my camera. And I got validation right then and there. Got all the stuff back after signing some paperwork. It was a very validating moment. Um, and let's get into Brennan's involvement in this. Um, I was, I was, uh, very much, I I'll admit, I was like obsessed with finding this, like finding my stuff. Um, because I just felt it was a very rare moment to find your stuff listed on Facebook marketplace, not only like in general, but a month after the, the incident happened of, of my stuff getting robbed. Well, Brendan would constantly remind me that I was over obsessed um, just, you know, making fun of just how passionate I was about trying to get my stuff back. So Brendan, by or Sinone, you were a horrible, uh, you know, friend when it came to this, uh, situation. Sinone. And for a few reasons, uh, okay. first off to my point, uh, Chris is going to be about 10 minutes late picking up his kids, largely because of you. No, I'm not kids. picking them up. I'm meeting Carter for baseball. And just stuff. play along for the bit, Chris. Jesus. He didn't, he didn't need to say the record. I buy. Uh, Thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> Chris, Chris was very entertained by my, by my uh, involvement or lack thereof in this. I felt like I was extremely supportive of you when this initially happened. I was going, walking you through what I would do with the insurance company. I've had my car stolen before. The same week that I broke my leg and I had uh, my PlayStation 2 at the time struck by lightning, all within like four days of each other. 
Bad things happen in threes. Hmm. But for someone who had just broken their leg, the PlayStation 2 uh, going uh, away was, was a toughie. There wasn't a whole lot else to do uh, in high school. Um, I think I it jumped the shark of, the, of not being able to emotionally be supportive of you anymore when I found out that there was going to be a helicopter on standby to chase after the guy for, for petty theft, basically. That wasn't my choice. And it wasn't petty theft. The stuff was worth thousands of dollars. There was a lot of resources, a lot of time and energy into it, and I'm happy that Zach got it back. None of that was my doing. I didn't say, hey, guys, can you guys have a helicopter? Chris, they, they were talking about him putting on a hat and doing, like, stings and, like, setting up fake. It, it was it was, it was becoming comical, I think, is more so what it was. Okay, but none of that was my choice or my request or my doing, so I don't know why that would be my fault. Did your girlfriend would, think that you were being obsessive? My girlfriend was very supportive. <laughs> she totally <laughs> did not tell me that I was too obsessed with it. I was extremely supportive and also extremely happy when there's finality to it all. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best way to describe it is we're all happy that it's over and we're happy you got your Dang, Also, if, if you give me a little information, I will find out a lot about you real fast. What did you do? Did you do a, a, like a Google uh, photo? I uh, just... Get a name, search for a name, find other things attached to the name. We pull the string and then you see what you get. Don't this, hey, don't co- commit any crimes on us because Chris is gonna get to the bottom of it. Th- this guy messed with the wrong person because he had Zach's OCD in full effect, the journalism skills of Chris Nee, of Zach, and then Zach's parents are lawyers too and have uh, accessibility to databases and stuff too. So that combination, it, it's not a whole lot of other people's cars you would have not wanted to steal out of other than Zach Blosty. Let's just say the dispatch, when I called them and gave them all the information, said that they were hiring. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy when we're sitting at camp and uh, Dane has a camera and Zach has a camera. I'm like, oh, we have two now. <laughs> two cameras, two lenses, and two computers. Yeah. Hey, it all I'll worked out in the end. Info. All right. Well, Zach, I'm happy you found it. I'm happy that we had a happy ending to the story. Are you? Happy ending. Yes, I'm happy that it's over. <laughs> That's different than being happy that I got my stuff back. I'm happy that you got your stuff back in the best way possible. Uh, though I would have liked to see the helicopter chase. Would have been worthwhile, too. Once I started realizing that my tax dollars were going towards, I started getting annoyed. Take that up with the police department, not me. All right. For a two-camera Zach Blostein, for Chris Knee, Crispy Knee, I'm Brendan Sonoma's been on the bench. We'll talk to you guys later.